When I was uh, in about eighth or ninth grade, I went through a, a period of time where I was, I was quite defiant with my parents. There were some pretty loud arguments that, uh, that went on for a while, and uh, I guess uh, one thing I learned was that they were up to the challenge. <laughs> and uh, so after my ninth grade, uh, I kind of decided, you know, I don't think I'm going to win, and it's not worth it. So uh, I, I sort of uh, backed off for a while and, and maybe grew up a little bit. But anyway, what I needed to learn, as I look back on it now, what I needed to learn was how to channel that defiance in a healthy way, how to channel it towards something that was positive. I needed an opportunity to be defiant in a way that was bigger than myself. And that's what we're going to look at today. How do we practice holy defiance? Uh, all during the month of July, uh, we're going to look at the Old Testament book of Daniel. And if you missed last Sunday's message, uh, you can go to our website and watch. You can go to our Facebook page or our Faith Westwood app. Or if you're into podcasts, you can check that out too. Now, the events of the book of Daniel are set in a time when the Jews uh, from the nation of Judah were being bullied by then the superpower, which is the Babylonian Empire. And Daniel and his young friends had been deported in 605 B.C. from uh, Jerusalem all the way to Babylon where basically they lived the rest of their lives. And, and Babylon is not content to just uproot you from your home. Babylon demands your loyalty. Demand, Babylon demands your allegiance so the gods and the government, they get all kind of rolled into one so that Babylon becomes not only the nation, it becomes the religion of the empire. Now, Babylon uh, was located in what we have, the present-day country of Iraq. Archaeologists have excavated the ruins of the city. And, and uh, for Christians uh, back then, uh, Babylon uh, became both a city and a symbol, both a city and a symbol. Um, I shared this uh, statement last Sunday. I want to share it again. I'll probably share it each Sunday in this series as sort of a, a backdrop for the messages. I'll put it up here on the screen. Would you say it with me? Babylon became a symbol of humans taking the place of God, assuming the power to redefine good and evil. For example, uh, at the end of the first letter of Peter, uh, greetings are given to the believers in Babylon. You know, give my greetings to the believers in Babylon. But you know, it wasn't Babylon they were talking about. The early Christians used Babylon as a code word for Rome. Like Babylon, Rome was the capital city of the empire and often hostile to God's people. Now, the name Babylon is also used six times in Revelation, the last book of the Bible, again as a code word for Rome, but also as a symbol for something even bigger than that, the, uh, the, for the re rebellious human power. For example, in, in Revelation 14, verse 8, uh, an angel proclaims, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. You know, 
I wonder how many Babylons there have been through the centuries. How many oppressive systems have tried to take the place of God and assume the power to redefine good and evil. Revelation says that Babylon will fall. Babylon will be judged. Let's open our Bibles to uh, Daniel chapter 3, where Marilyn was reading for us a bit ago. If you're in the Pew Bible, it's on page 884. Or you might have brought your own Bible, that's great, or you've got it on your uh, phone or tablet. By the way, if you don't have a Bible of your own to read, uh, we'd we'd really love to fix that today. And so after worship, if you head out uh, to the other side of the foyer next to the elevator, you'll see a display of our Connection Center and a little rack of a couple of uh, Bibles there. So just grab one. You don't have to ask. Just pick it up, take it home. It's yours. And you might be thinking, okay, well, what am I going to read? The Bible's a big book. Well, I always like to suggest to people to start with one of the Gospels, these biographies about Jesus that begin the New Testament. And their, their names are given according to who are ascribed as their authors, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Or maybe you want to read the rest of Daniel chapter 3 today, because we're not actually going to read all of it today. Um, so to, to set the context with Daniel chapter 3, I need to back up a little bit to Daniel chapter 2. Uh, the, the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And he decides that anybody who's worthy to interpret the dream also ought to be able to tell him what the dream was. Like, okay, I'll know if you really got an insight with, with uh, you know, magic or God or something, if, if you can actually tell me what the dream was. Well, all of his advisors say, that's crazy. Nobody could tell you the dream. Um, so anyway, Daniel... Uh, is brought to him, and Daniel says that God alone can reveal the mystery and that God has revealed to him both the dream and its, con- uh, and its meaning. Uh, so Daniel details the king's dream. It's a dream of a, a statue uh, with a gold head and a chest and arms of silver and then um, a uh, belly and thighs of bronze and then lower legs of iron, and then feet of a mixture of iron and clay. And uh, Daniel says that, that the gold head represents Nebuchadnezzar himself, and that the rest of the, the statue represents all of the empires that will come to pass following Babylon. Babylon. So King Nebuchadnezzar is thrilled that, you know, God has revealed to Daniel the dream and its meaning. Uh, so he gives Daniel a big promotion, you know, one of his top advisors, and he appoints Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as administrators in Babylon. So now we go to chapter 3. And what does King Nebuchadnezzar do? He has built a giant image of gold. Now, we don't know what the image was. It doesn't say. But based on the king's dream in the chapter before and, and, and how he's identified as the head, Nebuchadnezzar's identified as the head of gold, my first suspicion is that the image of gold is the image of Nebuchadnezzar himself. I mean, this guy seems to have the ego to do something like this. So let's go to verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high uh, and 6 cubits wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now, if a cubit 
is 18 inches, roughly. Uh, and then we're talking 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. Uh, it was probably made of stone or wood and then overlaid with gold. And uh, we don't really know where the plain of Dura was. I mean, there are a few different areas it could have been, but we're not quite sure which one was called Dura, which basically means the plain. Anyway, when the, when the band uh, strikes up the music, everyone's supposed to fall down and, and bow and worship the image. And you know, one of the things that I've been thinking about is, I always wondered what song the band played. All those instruments that keep getting listed there. What, what, what music did they play? Was it some specially commissioned uh, piece of music for the unveiling of the, of the golden image? Or, or maybe it was the Babylonian National Anthem. That's the one I'm kind of voting for, right? Uh, although I don't, I don't really know. Anyway, uh, and what happens if you don't fall down and worship the image? Well, follow with me at verse 6. As, as Marilyn read, whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into what? Say it with me, a blazing furnace. Now, what's a blazing furnace? Apparently, from, from scholars who I've read have studied this, that they, they see this as like a very large beehive-shaped metal uh, container, uh, and it had an opening on the top, apparently for throwing people in, and then an, an opening on the bottom, on the side, close to the, close to the bottom, for the king's viewing pleasure, right? And, uh, and you heard the scripture reading, and so you know what happens next. The band plays. Uh, everybody assembled on the plain of Dura uh, falls to their knees, bows their head to the ground to worship the image, except these three guys. There they are, standing. Everybody else is bowed close to the ground as they can get. There are these three guys standing up. Hard to miss them. They defy the king's command. So the king calls them over. You know, you're, you're my administrators. I mean, what are you doing? You're making me look bad in front of everybody else. And so he gives them another chance. You go, hear the music. Uh, you know, go to the ground. Worship the image. And if you don't, and did you notice how the scripture said that he was furious with rage? And if you don't, You'll be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then at the end of verse 15, our villain, Nebuchadnezzar, can't help but toss out his grandiose claim. <laughs> and then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? He will soon have the answer to his question. But don't think Nebuchadnezzar doesn't have the ability to carry out his orders. Jeremiah 29 tells about two people that Nebuchadnezzar has already killed by burning them alive. Now follow along with me, starting with verse 16, will you? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. And here is one, I think, of the most courageous sentences in all of the Bible. But even if he does not, 
even if he does not. We want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. What I love about, about this response is that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego remain calmly, faithfully defiant. And that's the title of today's message, and it, it also serves as the, you know, our teaching point for today, which is very convenient. So let's say it together, shall we? Remain calmly, faithfully defiant. And there are going to be times when, when staying true to God means that you're going to have to remain calmly, faithfully defiant to, to the people around you, to the pressures that they are giving you. Because saying yes to God means saying no to other things. Remember like I talked with the kids. Saying yes to God means you've also got to say no to some things. You might say, well, what's the big deal? You know, I've never been ordered to bow before an idol, and so I don't have anything to worry about, right? Oh, well, not so fast. I would say that idolatry is alive and well in 21st century America. If we follow the trend of what everybody else is doing in our culture, then, then we're going to bow to these idols and hardly realize we've even done it. The first chapter of the Bible says that we are made in the image of God. Of course, there'll be another time we can explore all what that means, be, to be made in the image of God. But you have the stamp of God and God's character on your life. And when we worship God, we live into that image. We're shaped by that image. Uh, and that's one of the things that worship does. It, it, it shapes our lives. And, and, but when we worship something that is not God... It, it contorts our souls. We become twisted, distorted versions of the people we were meant to be. Uh, Bible scholar Tom Wright says, if you worship money, then you'll define your life by money. You'll see yourself and others in those terms as a creditor, as a debtor, as a customer. If, if you worship sex, you'll define your life that way. You'll see people in terms of whether they are uh, potential objects of your fantasies. If, if you worship power, you'll define your life in those terms. And you'll see yourself and people as collaborators, competitors, or pawns to be used. Whatever you worship shapes you into its mold, into its image. And these idols come in many forms. Sometimes they're hard for us to identify. I know as a young pastor, um, I, I was fresh out of seminary, and I entered the Nebraska United Methodist Conference. And it didn't take long to figure out that the Nebraska United Methodist Conference was controlled by a handful of power brokers, clergy. If you wanted to be on an influential committee, you had to play their game. If you wanted to be elected as a delegate to general conference, you really had to play their game. Even uh, the appointments of pastors might be affected by them. Now, I'm pleased to say that when those power brokers retired, 
moved or died, the system that they ruled left with them. And because those that followed defiantly refused to perpetuate the game. They said, this isn't the kind of conference that we want to be. When we're pressured to bow like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we must, what? let's say it together again, remain calmly, faithfully defiant. And that means sometimes we've got to be willing to pay the price, right? In the end, you know, God did not save these three guys from the fire. But God did save them in the fire. God did not save them from the fire, but God did save them in the fire. At the time, they didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't know if God was going to save them or not. They just knew this is where they had to stand. They had to defy the king. And when you give your life to Jesus and you believe and belong in him, let me tell you, you are going to stand out. You are going to be different. There will be times when you realize, okay, everybody else, I can't, I can't go there. I can't do that. I can't be that. Last week I shared a story uh, about when I was in college, and I don't know, I must be thinking about that stuff lately because I got another one. <laughs> um, at Nebraska Wesleyan, I was, I was in a fraternity, and one of the things that fraternities did, I suppose they still do, uh, was that once in a while we would go around uh, campus and serenade the sororities out on their front lawns, right? Well, some of the songs were okay. <laughs> But some of them were rude, crude, and sexually demeaning to women. Shockingly. I mean, I don't, I don't understand sometimes how the sororities even put up with it. I guess it was a different day back then. And probably, I mean, it shouldn't have been, but that's the way it was. That's what happened. Now, here I am, I'm, I'm trying to be, uh, I'm trying to follow Jesus, I've given my life to him, he's come into my life, and I'm saying, you know, I, can't, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can sing these songs, you know, and so I really wrestled with this, struggled with it, and, and um, so we, you know, my attendance was required usually, but, but I thought, well, I don't always have to sing. And so I would usually kind of stand in the back, try to blend in, not be noticed, and some songs I could sing on, and someone said, I just... I just can't do that. So I would just kind of stand there. And I wasn't very brave about it. I mean, it's not like I stood up and, you know, told the guys in my house. I said, I, don't, I think we ought to ditch some of these songs. I didn't do that. Maybe I was afraid. Maybe I thought I would be ridiculed. Maybe I thought it's not going to do any good anyway. In my junior year, though, I decided to at least try to contribute something positively to the, to the serenades. And so our house had some pretty good singers at the time. And so I decided to start a fraternity men's chorus. And I, so I checked out some, some four-part men's music uh, from the music department. And we had practices after dinner on Mondays. 
And so once we got a song or two ready, then, then during the serenade, at some point, then the, 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 the men's chorus would assemble, and I would stand there in front of them with my baton, and I would direct them and, and lead the song, and, and, and we sang. And you know, we weren't half bad. Matter of fact, uh, during my senior year, our fraternity men's chorus won the all-campus talent show. Yeah. So let me ask you, how is God calling you to remain calmly, faithfully defiant? It's okay if you don't know right now. I think those, these are hard things to discern sometimes. But I believe that if you keep praying, if you stay in the Word, if you stay connected to, the, to the, how God is working in the conscience of other sisters and brothers in Christ, God's going to show you when that time comes. I'm still inspired by the holy defiance of Martin Luther King Jr. Did you know that he was put in jail 29 times? 29 times. If I was jailed 29 times, you know what you'd be thinking? It'd be time to get a new pastor, right? Uh, you know, I didn't realize that it would happen, but this morning I opened up the Sunday paper, Martin Luther King's right on the front page. Of course, he was assassinated. He was 39 years old. But, but by all the times that he suffered and is willing to be experienced jail and a lot of other things, uh, he awakened the conscience of the nation. He stood up against racism, the idol of racism and its belief in white supremacy. And by the way, if you have never watched the, mo the 2014 movie Selma, I would encourage you this summer to go and rent it. You know, go get it. You know, some, of those, some hot evening where you said, I don't want to be outside and you want to stay home and watch something, very powerful movie, and maybe if you did watch it five years ago, it would be a great time to say, I'm going to see that again, uh, because I believe that stories like this will help us and sensitize us, give us courage and boldness to practice holy defiance, because if we don't identify and defy our idols, they will enslave us, and they will conform us to their image. As I look at uh, the defiance of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and their refusal to bow before the king's uh, gold, image of gold, one thing that occurred to me is that, and I know I'm kind of stepping in on dangerous ground here, but it seems like an opportunity to talk about how our country honors its flag, another symbol, right? You know, I'm just like most of you. When, when I hear the star-spangled banner, I, I face the flag. I put my hand on my heart. I sing along just like I was taught. And our, our national anthem celebrates our country's victory in battle and how the flag continues to fly over the land of the free and the home of the brave. Our country was founded on defiance. Did you know that? Our country was, def was founded on defiance against unjust rule. I mean, 
We just celebrated Independence Day, right? Go read the Declaration of Independence. And, and that's why I'm just speaking personally for myself. But I'm going to give a lot of leeway to someone whose protest, whose defiance, includes not paying homage to the flag the same way I would. I know the flag means a lot to some of you. Defiance against injustice is part of what this country stands for, part of what this country was built on. And here's another thing. If defiance would ever be outlawed, that's when I believe America would not become a nation but our religion. And then we would turn into Babylon. If defiance would ever become outlawed, we could never express, have that freedom, then we'd become like Babylon. And then we'd be no longer the land of the free and the home of the brave. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, uh, we uh, don't often have the courage or the wisdom to know when and where and how to practice this holy defiance. And so, Lord, we're asking you to sensitize us to what's happening in the world around us. Lord, let us be people of such clarity about your word that we, can, we, we know when to act. We know we have the wisdom to know what to do and when. Lord, and it may be something very small, inconsequential, only affects us. It may be something very big. <laughs> but whatever it is, Lord, we want to be following you. We want to be true to you. We want to know that when we say yes to you, that you would also, Lord, please show us what we have to say no to. And so, Lord, we are, we are here to be your people, to be your representatives, to be the image of uh, your image on this planet. Lord, as, as we continue to worship you, shape us according to your image. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.